As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think! And time, and time again. Break up the music! Charge your glass! This nation is going to dance all night! A Premier League match ball for the ages. Coronation Street's conflicted, kit-hating Kevin Webster. The Lampardian transition ticks another cultural box. Who is and isn't a marksman? The precise coordinates of the average Premier League goal. How to put a game to bed. What makes a striker unplayable on their day? the most training groundy training ground name possible and the most definitive piece of research to date on the phenomenon of For My Sins. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 170 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and with me first of all is Charlie Eccleshare. How's it going? Very well, how are you? Not bad. Um, lovely feedback for the Loro appearance on Meza Harland Dicks last week. Um, I felt like we got the full and authentic Loro experience, not the caricature many might have been expecting. No, we um, we really saw the the depth of Loro. It was great. I, mm. I really really enjoyed it. Seems in a good place, doesn't he? <laughs> He's doing really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A yeah. Good moment. The one clip I forgot to put in. I'm, I'm devastated. I forgot about this one. This is perhaps my favourite Loro pound for pound. This is when England infamously fell to Croatia at Wembley in 2007. Say something, Mark, say something. Come on. <laughs> Wish I'd had the opportunity to put that to him, but, um, but yeah, but great stuff. And a Mark, John Motson calling him Mark. Yeah. Jar, yeah. Jars. Mm, maybe he wasn't quite full Loro in 2007. Yeah, we didn't move into that phase. Alongside you for the adjudication panel today is David Walker. How's it going? Very well. Uh, I greatly enjoyed Loro last week. Mm. Uh, it was weird editing it, so I didn't see him on the on the Zoom, and it sort of just dawned on me why Loro has this reputation 
of be you know everyone sort of there's the thing about oh Loro hates football which you which you addressed with him and obviously he said no I don't I don't I love it yeah, yeah. but he's just weirdly he's just very 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 ill suited to doing anything that's not in vision <laughs> because because when he's on when he was on match of the day of football focus or in vision you can see his facial expression and he you know when he's being serious or sarcastic or yeah. jokey or he's genuinely pissed off when you can't see his face, literally everything he says yeah. sounds like he's annoyed or being sarcastic, even if he's happy. That is a really good point. And I remember at, at the height of the kind of Loro culture wars, he, a friend of mine went to a talk he did at the Oxford Union and raved about him. Said he was really, <laughs> really good. Him. Yeah, he was like, oh, I was so, you know, went sort of expecting to find it quite painful. And he was brilliant. And, and I, do, I thought, Adam, when, he, when you asked him about the Guy Mowbray issues that they'd had, he genuinely was just like, no, that's, that's kind of... There's nothing there. That's just like who I am. That's what I yeah. do. Like he honestly, I think was a bit baffled the idea that that was. He's like, no, no, that's not arguing. That's just me. That's just my way. Well, he, yeah, he um, he played ball, and that's the main thing. Mm. That's, that's all we can ask for our guests for Medlock Harland Dicks. Um, speaking of balls, Dave, yeah, the new Premier League ball has been unveiled. It's a beauty. Um, it is a beauty. This is genuinely amazing, and, and, and I realised that. You can go down two avenues with this sort of thing. You can get all old manny about it and just dismiss it as terrible, newfangled rubbish. Or you can employ a bit of recency bias and say, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. I'm, t- I'm inclined to go down that route because I think this is the best Premier League ball of all time. It's got everything. It's perfect. Is it paying homage to the original mitre Big ball from the, from, the first, from the first season? Um, yeah, sort of 93-94, Ultimax, Big Chevrons. And uh, is it, yeah, it's... Um, it's adopted the exact same colour scheme. But if you look closely, you'll notice that the, the font underneath the big Nike logo is the same font that was used on the Mitre Ultimax from 1993-94. That, <laughs> that is a classy touch, David. That Yeah, that is, that is superb. Almost if they were designing it just for you, Adam. Mm, yeah. Mm. I, I do worry that some intellectual property lawyers are going to get involved in this, though, Charlie. You can't just you can't just steal stuff from Mitre. Well, what's going on there? Mitre mm. have such heritage in this area that I guess I, I thought Mitre had done everything there was to do with bulls, but so yeah. ma- ma- maybe we'll see more of this stuff happening. Cross brand homaging, um, a mm. very delicate area. Importantly, there's no new marketing spiel for this as we would normally run through. It's the same ball as before, but my God, Charlie, the sheer evoking going on here this is maximal evoking great evoking it really is enough to make you want to buy one no oh i'm tempted but you know um you know as i got given kits. one though i got given the last year's oh. premier league ball at, um an event oh, really? and yeah it's sort of uh I don't, I don't know what to do with it i'm like it's sort of so perfect backhanders was it i see well Ooh, be nice about our players <laughs> about the league in general what do you do do you play with that ball do you do you frame it in your in your living room i know yeah yeah there's the only the only place to put it is in the background of a uh, youtube video while you're doing some sort of youtube podcasty thing that's the only place for yes, it yes um, makes you look point. authentic as a mm. uh, as a content creator yeah, uh, yeah but yeah, yeah. but the, um, but dave last point on this the, the true test of the visual appeal of any premier league ball I think, is when someone scores a goal by curling it into the top corner and then you get the camera angle from behind that post watching the ball come in. I think Mm. that's the truest test of a ball's visual appeal. Just a little gentle spin on it, watching it glide through the air. If it doesn't look good there, it's not going to look good at all. 100%. It has to pass the slow-mo test. Yeah, yeah, big time. Or indeed, Charlie, the um, player's um, soul on the ball with their 
just about to take kickoff on the opening day of the season yeah. um, test. Yeah. Uh, a little known test for the test nonetheless. <laughs> right, time for the adjudication panel. A nice broad church of things to bring you today. Let's start with Corrie. Not, not territory we've ventured into before. This is from Paddy Sisyphus, who noticed Tyrone and Kev engaging in some scene-ending small talk at the garage. Hey, it'll be all right. You reckon? You seen the tweet off counter, new kits dropped. From You're not going to like it. So I'd lace up colour. Oh, wait until you see the away kit. <laughs> I mean, th- this, is, this is authentic stuff, Dave. This is the sort of thing that two, two blokes would share mid-shift in a garage. Um, kits dropping in the pre-season. And, you know, Weatherfield County... They're, they're, they're just as scrutinised as any other club, I'm sure. Yeah, I I like that they've created a fictional football team. Uh, I'm, I've not watched Corrie genuinely for probably decades. So I don't know how long running this sort of theme is in the show. Oh, they've been around, the club's been around yeah. in, in a fantasy world for a long, long time. Right, but the, the one area where, it's fall, where, it, where it falls down and... If you're listening to this, it's worth searching the clip out on on Twitter. Adam, you can post it. Is that it looks like a... They haven't gone the extra mile to make the kit look like a real professional club's kit. It looks really, really like word art template sort of. really does. We could talk all day, Charlie, about the production standards that have gone into the authenticity of it here. But but I'm I'm slightly confused by Kevin Webster's reaction. Is he a proper football man or not? Because he turns his nose up at this new design, but it's a kind of... It's kind of a retro thing. It's got the lace-up collar. So, you know, where yeah, does he stand on point. this? He seems conflicted. <laughs> that, that, that is a good point. I, I think instinctively, yeah, you're meant to think that it is a more proper football man. Oh, I don't like that. But it is a throwback. Tricky. I mean, fo- fo- football and soaps always had a checkered history. I mean, Neighbours famously really struggled to deal with it. There was a player who, I think one of the players left to go and play at an English club. And there's always that decision there. Do you use real names or do you come up with fake names or do you go vague? Do you say a kind of give a nickname for a team that could be real, but it's not, it maybe doesn't sort of infringe on their copyright in the same way? Yeah, it is. It's a tricky area. But um, I, I'm, I'm, I remain convinced that Kevin Webster, of all people, is a proper football man. He, he ticks all the boxes and always has done. Yeah, um, you, you'd think so. But he's picked out the lace up collar as being the thing he doesn't like. He's neglected to comment on the fact that it is neon green. Yeah. And maybe unless, they, unless they've historically always played in neon green, <laughs> Weatherfield, Weatherfield County, from since the 1800s. Oh, surely they have, because that's otherwise that's an enormous departure. To me, because 9394, it looked like the Island 94 World Cup shirt. Mm. That was what... Um, it was so green. It was like, it was like Nickelodeon slime-coloured green. And that's the home kit. We are forced to use our imagination. All the viewers are forced to use their imagination for the away kit. And the subtitles simply say, Tyrone mimics gagging. So uh, who knows? <laughs> who knows what horrors lie in the uh, Weatherfield County away kit. Next up in art imitating life. Um, we don't tend to dwell on football manager too often. Not really our bag. But this is from Simon Trainer, who has shared a little screenshot from his uh, football manager save. And we fast forward to September 2022. Frank Lampard is now in charge of Brentford. And uh, they're about to take on Crystal Palace in the championship. Uh, Not sure what's happened here. Anyway, pre-match press conference. Brentford's former player Matthias Jensen is now at Palace. 
And Lampard has asked, this match will see Matthias Jensen come back to play against his old club. Are you looking forward to his return? Lampard replies, yes, it'll be great to see Matthias. He's a nice lad. I just hope he won't enjoy the game too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, wow. really great to have him back. I think, I think this is another hurdle for the Lampard phenomenon, isn't it, Charlie? This is great. Great to see. That's amazing. I mean, there's so much scope, actually, thinking about it, for football manager to do these sorts of things. So that must, it would actually be really fun to work on that game and, and do kind of lots of the most, the smallest details that you know people will recognise that are elements of the Is that game. a come and get That's, me, please? <laughs> look, all I'm saying is... <laughs> I've got Miles Jacobs' to play, number if you want it. You, you used to play a lot of football manager. <laughs> How many gigs yeah, do you want to win uh, off the back of this podcast? I did enjoy that, is all I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah, well, that is book true. sales. Book pre-sales must be slow. I know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hurry, very much my agent. Yeah. Right. Next up, um, a teacher writes in, who we may only call Johnny. Apparently, he asks, "Is it acceptable, Dave, to call a primary school child a Rolls Royce of a defender in their school report?" <laughs> How big is this child? That's amazing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, you do get these, but it's all relative, know, isn't it? If you're the big kid. Do you play at the back? Yeah. Maybe you do, yeah, because you're the only one that can sort of head it and... Kick it far. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it kind of does work, I think, yeah. Now, Charlie, maybe you're right. Maybe it is a relative thing. If he is towering over his peers, but still has a an element of elegance in between yeah. the growing pains. <laughs> I, I, I think that works quite well, because I think you often do have Rolls-Royce style, because they're such a cut above often. Like, the, the disparity mm. is often more at that level than it is the higher you get up. You will have one kid who who just is you know, a lot bigger than everyone and and also by far the best player. Hmm. I mean, if he's really, really big, Dave, it could be future England captain territory, just based yeah. on that alone. Oh, he's massive. That's <laughs> huge. He's vocal. Um, more pressingly, though, Dave, what's, what's um, an appraisal of a, of a child's footballing ability doing in a school report? What's happened to the world? <laughs> this never <laughs> happened when we were kids. Oh, a PE. Your PE teacher, yeah. Speaking of school reports, though, Charlie, what is the only acceptable response in football when someone is asked to uh, appraise a team season in a school report style? Must do better. Yeah, congratulations, you've won the quiz. That is the only, <laughs> only possible option. Next up, Dave, Alex G writes in and says, just read Gabriel Jesus, described as a marksman. Does he qualify not being a particularly prolific goal scorer or even an out-and-out centre-forward? I had a look round and there is indeed a widespread usage a Brazilian marksman in stories for Gabriel Jesus. Are you happy with that, Dave? It doesn't feel right to me. Who is a marksman? What What exactly? Is marksman Cavani. purely about the numbers? I'd, I'd say Cavani is a marksman. So I think there has to be... I don't think it's just about numbers, Charlie. I think, I think there needs to be a kind of ranginess to the player. The implication yeah. they might be able to score goals with their head as well as their feet. They're an all-round centre-forward, I think, is a marksman. As yeah. well as scoring lots of goals. All round, yes, because they can link play. But I do think a marksman is also someone who comes alive in the box. Yeah. Um, Lewandowski. Yeah, I think I, I would think of him as a marksman in my head. But you should, wouldn't. Adam, as well, you got a shout out on today's Totally Football Show for oh, calling the Jesus to Arsenal uh, as early as early April. ITK. It, yeah, I, I think in a it just feels right more than a kind of the new David Ornstein, but even so. If if, if Ornstein doesn't quote tweet me with, uh, yeah, fair play to him, he got this scoop first, then... Per uh, football cliches, understand that 
Gabriel Jesus's <laughs> movies are. As per. Yeah. Turns out there is a buzz to uh, knowing stuff before it happens. So who knew? Who knew? But um, yeah, I mean, let's think of prolific goal scorers, Dave, that aren't marksmen. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Cristiano Ronaldo is a marksman. Well, the official definition that I've just Googled, non-footballing, is just simply a person skilled at shooting. So That really is just gun gun-related shooting, isn't it? Yeah, but to apply that to football, I, I do sort of think of it like that. Just a absolute lethal finisher. Someone who can score goal, like he's just always there on the money. Great finishes in the corners. Yeah, natural finishes. Robbie Fowler, a marksman then in that case? I would say so. Yeah, interesting. Um, mm. Important to get the pronunciation right though, Charlie. You wouldn't call it marksman, can you? Um, that that no, opens up no. a whole political <laughs> kettle of in, fish. In, in, the, in the same way you can't go frontman. No. There, there are Golmuth from, from, from last year. The marksman comes alive in the Golmuth. Exactly. Yeah. In Greater Golmuth. Close season undertaking of the week, part one, Dave. Matthew C.R. tweets that he's crunched some data and has calculated the mean average latitude and longitude of a goal scored in the Premier League to be roughly 52 degrees, 40 minutes, 4.2 seconds north, 1 degree, 21 minutes, 40.5 seconds west. So every goal... Scored in the Premier League last season, he has approximated to a very specific point in the UK. And it turns out to be a solar farm about a mile from the Leicestershire village of Bagworth. How appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Superb. The the bagsman from Bagworth (laughs) scores again. All right, Drury. (laughs) (laughs) It's Bagworth. Beautiful. Bagworth. Bedlam. (laughs) Um, but this is important work, isn't it, Charlie? Um, no one's ever done this before, and uh, I don't understand why, but someone has done it now. I applaud him. That's brilliant yeah. work. Brilliant. Not sure what to do with this data, though. Uh, but yeah, but there should and be just enjoy it. Annual or mo- you know annual pilgrimage. There should be an yeah annual a pilgrimage plaque or something to Bagworth. <laughs> <laughs> a little stone. <laughs> if we don't do it, football focus will. So uh, <laughs> cast your minds back if you dare, if you can, if you can bear it. To England nil, Hungary four. The only question I really have on the back of this, Charlie, is from George Lincoln, who is slightly troubled by Southgate's opening answer in the post-match press conference. Um, are you embarrassed by that? Well, it's a, a chastening night. Um, we've not lost lot, many football matches. And... Um, when you lose so heavily at home, especially, but you know, when you lose heavily with England, that's going to be very, very painful. So, Charlie Eckershare, should anyone ever say the word chastening out loud, especially about their own defeat? <laughs> I don't think it jars too badly. Don't they have heard it before? You don't think you've heard what? You don't think you've heard? I think it's more of a yourself? written thing, like a chastening night for Gareth Southgate's England. But you can't, you can't chasten yourself. Is is this point I'm essentially making here? Right, and and I guess loud. there's also yeah, I know what you mean. I guess there's also an extent to which he yeah he's preempting. It slightly speaks to the fact that point. he's very very across. I think the media and perceptions and things like that. So he's almost preempting what's going to be said the following morning. That's a very interesting point. I never th- considered, Dave, the idea of media-savvy managers getting ahead of the uh, the five things we learned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell yeah, you exactly. what, guys, let me tell you the five things we learned tonight. 
Um, <laughs> it's like a, yeah, a new manager coming in and be like, "Look, I need to make this place a fortress. I know I need, I, I know I need to get our star striker firing, and that's what I'm here to do." <laughs> that would be great. Southgate does, you know, it's it's very Southgate, isn't it? He strikes you as a man that pours over the newspapers in great detail every day, mm. every single day, all of them. Yeah, all the broadsheets, all the tabloids. Probably got a subscription to the Athletic. To be honest, yeah, wouldn't put it past him. So I can imagine, and you know, he's quite eloquent, but sort of in a footbally speak way as well. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I hope he signed off his press conference with, "Yeah, very much a night to forget for us." <laughs> Meanwhile, over in the open brackets, the closed brackets MLS listener Cal Bow writes in, uh, a UK citizen over in the US watching some MLS action, Dave. He says, I've just been at the Rail Salt Lake game. I heard the following fierce shouts from fans. Number one, San Jose are a subpar soccer team. Number two, you're a terrible referee, in my opinion. Three, Espinosa's really bad at soccer. And four, one zero just isn't enough. This is great. It's almost like it's like an AI system created. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it reminds me actually on the old Pro Evo games. They used to have banners. Just and we were talking to Laura about weird Pro Evo commentary, but it was the same thing. It was just obviously you know because they have to be quite polite and they're just like they jarred horribly and and all this is like that song sheet that was released. Do you remember by an MLS club a few years ago? And it was all kind of very. Um, polite mannered stuff i mean this is a, a country where you know they a big chance like yankees suck mm. is a big is oh a yeah, big yeah. Chant. yeah you know that's meant to be like hostile and intimidating and i'm not advocating being more aggressive but come on dave which one is your favorite from that list the you're a really bad ref in my opinion <laughs> <laughs> i love the qualifier yeah that's amazing <laughs> absolutely right yeah just yeah just to ward off any illegal action but yeah still work to do for, you know, <laughs> yeah. for the mls my, fan base it's just my opinion yeah, just saying. You're, you're a rubbish referee. There's no suggestion of any wrongdoing, mm. but you know you are. <laughs> There's you're, you're not no suggestion taste. of any wrongdoing. Echo shares media law training kicking in there. Excellent work. <laughs> Next up, um, something we hadn't really tackled before. Actually, I'm, I'm quite surprised by uh, it's the, the hierarchy of ex-player descriptions. Eddie writes in Charlie and says, "I wonder when describing a player as former footballer for X." What determines which club is chosen? Most appearances. Would you call Marcus Bent a former Brentford player, despite him having far more notable spells? Would you even go to minutes played? What's I mean? What? Where do you start the, the, with this? This is and this is something I have had to think about from first-hand experience. You do an interview with a former player, and there comes a point at which you, you know you want to give a quick praise of his career, and he'll have played for like twelve clubs, and obviously you're not going to name all twelve. You you know played for clubs including or whatever. And another dilemma is, do you say England? Let's say a player has two England caps. Is that enough to say, you know, the former Aston Villa and England defender? It's technically true. It's maybe pushing it. And I do remember once doing that and uh, the editor changing it to, uh, I think, you know, the former Aston Villa defender who also represented England or something, which is, is probably a fairer way. We'll, we'll get to internationals in a second because that, it appears to be a whole different can of worms. But... Let's let's take a player who's played fairly equally, notably for about five or six um, Premier League mm. clubs. Who are you going for first? I guess I guess in that situation, Dave, you're choosing the biggest club, like the most notable one. I think you have to sort of consider it in context, though, because why are you referring to this player as a former player from former club X player? If this player, if Marcus Bent, you would you would not to use that example. You would never describe Marcus Bent as a former Brentford player unless he happens to be 
on the touchline before a Brentford game. And that's why he's there. If it's just a general reference in a piece, I suppose you'd go for the most notable most notable club or the club they. What what's the thing first thing that comes to mind? But yep. there are there are examples like Tom Cleverley. Who would you? I what knew would he you say? Be a Watford player. What would you say to Tom Cleverley? Assuming are we assuming that he's being talked about in a Watford context here, so we don't need to say Watford. I think we should assume neutral context. Here. Yeah, yeah, neutral. Okay. So maybe, I don't know, he's been hired to be someone's assistant manager or something. I would say the former Watford, Manchester United, and then one of okay. Everton and Villa. Did he play for both of those clubs? He did yeah, play for both of those. Yeah. But I, I, I would have thought that people would probably most readily associate him with Manchester United. But he's played far, he's played far more games for Watford than any other club in his career. Starting there are players your like career that. at a big club really yeah. does muddy the waters. Because yeah. it feels yeah. like you should throw it in, but... You know, didn't really I, stamp his authority there, did he? I definitely think it's a battle, or, or the two m- most important considerations are, yeah, length of time and sort of synonymity with a certain club. And that's why I would go Watford first, because I do think he's been there long enough that that wins out. But then obviously the bigger club that they are, that also is a consideration. Partly because it might not even be necessarily that because they're that well known with them, but because it's quite interesting to read that. So... You know, Tom Cle- Oh, yeah, Tom Cleverley. He was the, the Manchester United youngster. OK, let's go for another case study for you, Charlie. Um, Jermaine Defoe, you're writing about him in a very brief piece about something entirely innocuous. Which three teams are you giving him and in which order? And we're not including England because I do think he qualifies. I said teams. Well, I, you can do what I, you like. I think, oh, OK. I, I think a better context, just to interject. Let's say that Jermaine Defoe is on the news the non-sporting news for he's doing something for charity. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, far removed from football enough for it yeah. to become a complete open field. Right. Which okay. one are they picking? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. If he's doing something for charity, I think you're going with... I hope he chooses four- Marksman, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> well, you kind of have to finish with a country. I might even, if it was in that context, might just say the former Tottenham in England. Because it's so no, because, that's because because uh, well yeah that is, maybe maybe that isn't but because it's so wide ranging and general interest if it's a football general story then I think I'm going the former Tottenham Portsmouth and England oh story. he's oh. got Portsmouth yeah Sunderland gone Portsmouth I would have said Tottenham first West Ham West Ham because you've got Tottenham who who I think it's fair to say who is most notable club the the club where he played his best football then I think it's important if if it's viable to go with his first club first senior club which is West Ham he played enough for them for it to be a big deal so Tottenham West Ham and England now when it comes to the internationals Dave I think we need to be careful because as Charlie says there 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 appears to be some sort of threshold you have to employ about whether you can call a player a former Country X international in passing. How many caps are we talking about here? Because because of course you could employ the slightly clumsy caveat of one time England international. Some people will think that means they only played once. I tend to interpret it as used to play for them, but not notably. So go on. Yeah, while maybe while they're still playing. Yeah, as well. Defoe, I I sort of don't really think of his England career, but it's fifty seven caps, twenty yeah. goals. So yeah. it's a it's a serious England striker. England striker, yeah, I think you would have that as the as the finisher, but like you took, we went for Portsmouth. Like you only played for Portsmouth about 30 odd games. Yeah, that it's funny what I sticks maybe, in your mind. You really let yourself done, down here, Charlie. I'm sorry. Port, Portsmouth, maybe I was. Yeah, I think I I think of him as playing for Portsmouth more than that. He he made a really big impact there, though. I mean, West Ham probably does trump it as a 
as a first club. But I think to your to your original question, Adam, of how many caps, I mean, to qualify in that way... Ten? Uh, yeah, I was going to say at least double figures. Well, great, a but, great example, Darren Bent. Loads of clubs play for England, not nearly as notably as Jermaine Defoe, but... I would, still get, say, it? I would still say England striker for Darren Bent. Just about. How many caps are we talking? 13 and four 13 goals. 13 England caps, four goals, yeah. I think it's a good rule. 10 caps seems to okay. be a decent rule. I mean, Carlton Cole, who I'm always amazed got as many as he did, England caps. He played for Celtic, would you believe? And, oh, well, this might be a related threshold, Charlie. Um, you may or may not remember that he played for Celtic, but it doesn't matter. He's playing for Celtic in the Masters football. That's <laughs> no. just no perfection. way. Oh. He's, That's... Incredibly he played four times for Celtic. He yeah. played more times for England than he did for Celtic. <laughs> I'd have had he's, him I mean, nailed on for Chelsea, surely. Yeah. Masters, yeah. Masters energy there. Um, I mean, Jermaine, Jermaine Defoe as well. Could, could, you could have Senrab in there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <Senrab>. <laughs> you can't, you can't include him. Um, I think after, once, you, once you get past a certain number of clubs, and, and Defoe is very close to the threshold, Marcus Bent very much certainly over that threshold, I think it would just have to be a case of, of saying represented X number of clubs in the top top division including one that you know charlton or something like that or um, you do the among he played you know play for x or you know among others among, yeah yeah quite right uh, a brief self-referential corner here now um 1024kb writes in and says a new work colleague dave said he supported brighton for his sins i suspect he might be a podcast devotee what else could I drop into conversation to confirm he has interest in and around the show? Say his name in <laughs> Keezy's voice when we meet next. Too subtle. <laughs> What's the next I think, step? I think that one should be tried. <laughs> Maybe a by the way, I'm sure. Yeah. Some, somehow get a by the way in there. Yeah. Yeah. A little knowing wink yeah, by mean, the way, Charlie. I think it's probably the next one, isn't it? Depending on their profession, you know, let, let's say they're, they're, they work for a law firm. Mm. You know, what a solicitor he was, by the way. Try that. See if it arouses anything. I would also dispute Brighton as being a for my sins. Oh. I think they, I'm not sure. I mean, yes, if you were saying that a few years ago, I don't know about now. I think I feel like Brighton's a lovely team to support. Hmm, interesting. What if we, if, if we could quantify it somehow? Let's get on to that shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Not Tom Garbutt writes in, David says, what's the most satisfying way for a ball to hit the net? And why is it a low-driven shot into the corner that rolls all the way up to the roof of the net and back out the goal? I don't think he's nailed this, Dave. I don't think that's number one. No, I, I really don't like that. And that. That annoys me, that sort of example. I was thinking about this before. Um, I do think that modern the modern box nets don't lend themselves particularly well to nice nestling. I'm thinking of like mid-90s goal nets that are sloped down the back and have a bit of give to them and one that just really just buries in the bottom corner and just sort of thuds stays and there. stays there because of the give. Yeah. Stops dead like a car slamming into a brick wall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's no there's no kind of rebound at all. No. Um, good choice. I big fan of that charlie I, I personally i would go for sort of waist high shot that's thundered into the corner of the net but isn't doesn't just doesn't just go into the net it kind of goes up a bit the net kind of sends it up a bit so it's kind of it's hard to explain but it's incredibly yeah. satisfying to see interesting yeah i mean i think of i like ones that go high and sort of then drop down and you can kind of see them i, I like the way they do that i mean i don't mind ones that bounce out and then a guy then smashes Ugh. it back into the net in frustration. Mm. I'm not so against ones that bounce out. Okay. Wow. Did not know. I mean, what was it? What was the? Uh, was it the Dell that had terrible <laughs> nets? This was coming. Yeah, that's always that. That that was a big pre-cliches, of yeah. course. But it was a you know it was it was a talking point amongst uh, Mark Hughes scored a goal. Right? People it like came us. back out and wasn't. Yeah, good. that's right. Yeah, mm. wasn't wasn't allowed. Amazing, amazing scenes. Um, but uh, yeah. Many will have differing views on this, but yeah, I think a voluptuous goal nets accepting a ball into their bosom, I think is is what we should be aiming for here. Not rebounding, nothing too harsh. Sam writes in, Charlie, and says, watching an MLS goals roundup earlier, and the narrator, I think voiceover is perhaps what he's aiming for here, said that the Austin FC player put the game to bed when he scored to make it 1-0. They were down to 10 men and only scored in the 67th minute, which clearly isn't putting a game to bed. But Charlie... How do you put a game to bed? Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's clearly miles off it. <laughs> Putting a game to bed, which is, which is one of football's great joys. I think you put a game to bed, you're leading by a goal, and you've had to withstand some pressure, and so you're starting to get a bit nervy. You've also maybe missed some chances previously, and you're starting to think, uh, I can just feel there's going to be an equaliser here. The team have the, the team you're playing haven't offered loads necessarily, but they're starting to get a few set pieces and whatever. But you then score maybe on the counter, that sort of thing. Um, I'm imagining in my head a rebound. It doesn't. This obviously doesn't have to be, but I'm just imagining that you you're on the break, strike or whoever shoots across goal. The keeper taps it out. Someone follows in. X player from five yards. That puts this game to bed, and it's like 87th minute that sort of thing you're tuning up the oppo aren't coming back from that business like dave no advances on that i think that's I think it wraps it up doesn't it no for some reason in my head i was uh, same same margin but two one to three one oh, well because yeah. that's because adam you're i'm a two nil man and you're a three one man aren't you so 
you know, th- there are those differences. You know, people have different ideal ideal kind of putting to beds probably yeah yeah that's fine putting the game out of reach is uh, but yeah but not 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 overly so it's not you can't it can't become a a route or a thrashing or a comprehensive victory just a tidy two goal margin late on um 80th onwards maybe 75th onwards if we're being generous um, depends i think that's more opposition early. dependent i think okay. seven, i think you i think you can but i think that's more if you're playing a team who just aren't going to be capable realistically of scoring like two goals at anfield say and crucially, so, of course, it needs to be something that you can both proclaim at the time and in retrospect. Um, yeah. So it needs to be it needs to be safe enough to say at the time, and then you know, still valid after the event. So yeah, yeah, don't just use it without due caution. Next question is from George Lewis, Dave. He says, I hate the phrase unplayable on his day. It's an empty compliment when used because it can apply to anybody. I associate it mainly with Andy Carroll. And it got wheeled out for any game he managed hmm. to complete. <laughs> I guess the question here is, <laughs> I guess the questions are, he says, should we use it? And who is the most unplayable on his day player? Dave, I think this is very interesting. Great when I question. hear of unplayable, I think of big strikers who are physically hard to control, as well as being really good when their mood allows it. So I think this is an all-round thing again. It's a bit like marksman. You need to have some range to your to your repertoire. Yes, and the on his day element suggests that he doesn't indeed have many days. Mm-hmm. Um, Andy Carroll, I think, is absolutely spot on because he so 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 few days. Never has a man had a greater reputation based off so few on his days than but, Andy Carroll. Andy Carroll is an interesting case study for this because when I hear unplayable Charlie, my thoughts always turn to Didier Drogba, who That's exactly the I same. would say yeah. probably doesn't qualify for the on his day caveat. No. He, was, he was too good. He wasn't he, he wasn't relentlessly he, consistent, but he was too good he for improved. on his day. He yeah. looked like he could he could have been that guy in the yeah. first sort of season at Chelsea, but he 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 put those quandaries to bed. Time. Firmly by the end of his spell. But the thing is with Andy Carroll, Charlie, does he have everything about him to be unplayable? I'm not sure. I think he's got enough because, and, and can I just say that's exactly where my mind went was Drogba, but mm. the honest de- without the honest day because I think yeah. he was too consistently unplayable. <laughs> I think because like there was that game for Liverpool, I think it was against Man City where he not only scored a header, which then made you know prompted the kind of. If they can, you know, if they can, if you put that delivery in the box, he mm. will score 20, 30 goals a season. Mm. But he also scored a really good goal with his left foot from outside the area, which prompted also the, he, you know, he's got a hell of a left foot. You know, I know we talk about him as an aerial threat. But weirdly, I don't think of unplayableness as a goal scoring thing. I think of it as more of a general sort of link up play. You just, you, you can't get the ball off him. And you running know. the channels yeah. and just, just, bullying defenders can i just say as well really quickly on this unplayable it's quite interesting in america or so i've been told that basically means you can't play him because he's too crap so we're, I, i've had people on my articles bit saying things That's like great yeah you have to saying they'll say like oh i've got to rework my brain it's really oh, weird wow. seeing like harry kane being described as unplayable or something because to us that means yeah he, you can't be playing this guy Do they use on his day at the same time <laughs> he's unplayable on his day he can't be asked i do think carol i get what you're saying adam but i think he does as charlie alluded to does have just enough other things in his locker than just the header to be to be described yeah. that way yeah 
he'll put himself about. He will run around. He'll chase stuff. He can. Oh, he's a willing runner for sure. He can occasionally smash one in, just yeah. absolutely hammer one in. Uh, yeah. Another player that came to mind for me was Adebayor, mm, yeah. a player that hard to contain. Hit- Hit the heights a, every now and again, but there, there wasn't that consistency. I think he's an on his day kind of player, Charlie. Yeah, I'd say he's a little bit better than that, but I'd maybe not. On, maybe not unplayable. I, I don't think he's um, so just an on his day where he's like, yeah, you know, where it's really occasional. He's a bit better than that, but he's also not a drogba where it's certainly not an on his day situation. Yeah. Can we all agree that no one can ever be constantly unplayable? Like unplayableness is is a thing you have to hit occasionally for it to be a treat special yeah it can't just be amazing i mean messi even in his like 2012 pomp presumably wasn't constantly unplayable that, that's not you can't have that it's a good question isn't it because in some respects he's sort of the most unplayable player ever right if you think about it because you can just do everything at will and literally hardly anyone could stop him but he's definitely not the player you think about when you when you hear the word unplayable mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of more thought needs to be put in this. Some academic needs to get hold of this because it's it's an important subject. What about skillful players? Because we're talking about big, impo- physically imposing strikers. What about somebody like Alan San Maximam or Hatem Ben Arfa, who can have these amazing games where they're just beating every time they get the ball, they're beating players. And they, just... I feel like it should count, shouldn't it? Pure skill should count for being unplayable. And when it gets to the point where they've they've dominated the game so much and they've run a defender ragged and they've tried to double up on him, for example, and it hasn't worked, that surely becomes unplayable territory. Trior, Adama Traore, like the, the pace as well, when he's on it, he's just, yeah. just, he's just unplayable. I think that, I think it's, that yeah. There's I, not enough to the rest of his game, though, yeah. yeah. So extreme examples, yeah, can override the rules. Yeah, yeah fair enough. Fair enough. Penultimate question for you. George Warby asks, when talking about transfer business, why do journalists say it's been very busy at Stadium X, Charlie, when the majority of work is actually done at the training ground? (laughs) Is he right? I mean, what proportion of Premier League clubs have their HQ at the stadium and not the training ground? It's important. Well, some, but it's not, they, they can be sort of separate. They might not be at the stadium, but they'll be in an adjacent building. So it depends kind of how granular you want to go. Um, and it, it, it depends where some staff members will split their time. They might yeah. work some at the training ground. They might spend some of their time at the area. Kind of I think the stadium. The, I, let, let's formalise it then. Where is the contract signed when you get a player? I think that should be, that should be the defining thing well, for that, where your that business would, is done i don't know for every club but often that will be at the training ground that's where they'll be that's where all the unveiling stuff will be done so yeah. yes but then but then you know it's at, it might have been a busy time the work was probably done <laughs> you know in, in the living room of the director of football or whoever oh, it is yeah. whilst he was on the phone so mm, it's it, difficult it's, dave i think the lesson here is that we need to give training complexes more respect don't we but unfortunately training complexes are very much the linesman to the referees of stadiums. And how many Premier League training grounds can you name? <laughs> yeah, that exact, that's exactly it. I'm, I, the ones I can name, Finch Farm for Everton, <laughs> um, Bodymore Heath, Aston yes, Villa. Yes, that was, that was my uh, next one. Um, <laughs> Bodymore uh, Heath is such London a good Col- one. Like London Colney. Yeah. Which Arsenal? one is that? Who's the, oh, is right, that for okay. Watford as and well? Watford, Isn't next Watford? door. And then yeah, Norwich yeah, is called Colney as well. What the hell's going on? Yeah, that's uh, It's Car- Carrington's Manchester United. Yeah, yeah. Was but the did, cliff. But was the cliff. But also City used to train at Carrington. Didn't they used to train at Carrington as well? It's just another place in Carrington. But they're now the... But what are they? What, the, at the Etihad campus? Or, yeah. Mm. yeah. 
Chelsea is simply yeah, well, Cobham, which I find strange. You can't just have a place. It should have a yeah. name. Well, Liverpool as well. They've got now like the AXA something or other. <laughs> and I think it, you, you have to call it that. What was Liverpool before they moved? Melwood. Uh, Melwood, yeah. But yeah. what's Tottenham's new... Like the new ones, they don't, they, they don't tend to give them... A lot of these, these training grounds are sort of historic names, aren't they? Whereas well, Spurs what, is Hotspur Way. Hotspur Way. Uh, it's a bit manufactured, isn't it? But then Fulham's is Motspur Park. Yeah, my neck of the woods, actually. So, you know, all those things mashed together. Dave, what's the most, like, just off the top of your head, make up a training ground name that you think is the most <laughs> training groundy name. <laughs> I think it's got to be two words. Mm. And the first one has just basically got like a surname aspect to it. And the second one has just got to be got this kind of vague geographical thing, isn't it? Like a, an area. So let's have it. In a, in a tweet, I think it's uh, en route to Grove Farm. Lots of uh, interesting topics on the agenda this morning. Grove Farm. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. You've, you've gone for two suffixes together. Oh, that's almost too generic, yeah, if anything. May, that's maybe that's pro-evo. too much. In fact, actually, and I think Grove Farm is a real place. Uh, I think I used to play football at Grove Farm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe that is too much. I'm going to go for Ableton Moor. <laughs> or Moors? Maybe I could go for Moors because it implies a, a large footprint of real estate. Ableton Moors. Yeah, but just sounds a little bit too National Trust. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. This is where we should be going. Let's let's cross-reference a list of National Trust houses with Premier League training. Ooh, the season can't start quick enough, can it, Dave? <laughs> Um, but we do have one final treat for you. Um, this is Close Season Undertaking of the Week, Part 2, and bloody hell. Infamous listener Elizabeth Barnard and friend Charlie, she says, are clearly losing our minds without the football, and we've made this list of teams in order of how acceptable it is to say for my sins about supporting them. All 92 league teams and the two relegated from League wow. 2 last season. Let's wade into this Google Doc. The first name that jumps out, I guess, let's let's, let's just get st- you know start right from the top. Their number one, Dave, for my sins, is Oldham Athletic. I think it's a good shout. I think it ticks a lot of boxes. Once were Premier League, fallen on hard times, had some you know um, textbook ownership issues recently. It's there. Absolutely, they've ticked every single box. Because there is still that very distant, increasingly distant memory of their very brief spell in the in the, in day in the sun in mm-hmm. the early days of the Premier League and the FA Cup and Joe Royal and surviving and all that, and now they've just they've just plummeted. But they've never, to my mind, there also there are a couple of teams like this because there are plenty of teams that have spent their whole existence sort of what you might think in the doldrums, but they've actually sort of had the odd season where they've maybe got promoted up from League Two to League One or they've they've won the yeah. Johnson's Paint Trophy or something. They've had the odd bit of happiness. Whereas I can't really think of anything good that's happened to Oldham in 30 years. Yeah. And I, st- I stand to be corrected. They had Paul Scholes as manager for a bit, didn't they? That didn't go well, did it? Charlie, I, I, now I see them at the top of this, no doubt, conscientiously put together league table. Maybe there's a catchment area issue to be factored into this. You know, got lots of clubs potentially vying for your attention, but for my sins, I've gone for this lot, this rabble. Mm. Could have supported United, could have supported, you know, all the other Bolton. And it would have been legitimate. Yeah. That is an interesting one because they're number two, which is also a very, a very for my sinsy team, I do think is Sunderland. Yeah. That was our number one before, I think. Yeah. Unspoken. Yeah. 
exactly um in that kind of they've been through they've been through a lot over the last few years but that's a slightly different one because that is more uh you know that th- there's less that or there are fewer options i suppose there i mean grimsby as well as fifth which i yeah that because grimsby was always held as like a you know you're, you're gonna have to start playing away at teams like grimsby yeah. as if that was a really you know tough and thing to be doing i think that is that disproportion disproportionately mentioned purely because they have grim in their name <laughs> i do think that's definitely a part of it i'm sure it is i just think it's i think it's just deemed to be a very um provincial english word grimsby is it, yeah. is, it is it implying some sort of humble existence and that's where you're going to have to be slumming it if you get relegated to that division. Let's look at the top 10, though, in its entirety. Oldham, Sunderland, Derby, Wigan, Grimsby, Portsmouth, Swindon, Bradford, AFC Wimbledon, slightly confused by it. Maybe that's, maybe that's too narrative-based. And then Reading completing the top 10. A good vibe amongst all of that, Dave. I think it's relatively for my Cindy. I, I think they've more or less nailed the, uh, the brief, which we didn't give them. <laughs> yeah, and they completed it very well, nonetheless. Yeah, I agree. Wimb- AFC Wimbledon. I think I think every single AFC Wimbledon fan wears their fandom as a mm. real badge mm. of honour. I would have. I would have yeah. thought. Yeah, MK MK Dons should surely be. Should yeah, where are MK there. Dons? Oh, MK Dons. Oddly, as I was about to turn our attention to the bottom ten, MK Dons just just hovering just above it in eighty fourth. MK Dons, Brentford just above them. This is like looking at the FIFA rankings. I'm obliged to tell you who they're sandwiched between. Mm. I think you should swap those two. But I think with the For My Sins, there is, we've spoken about it before, there's a, there is a slight humble braggy element to it because you're, you're slightly showing off about the fact that you don't support a Man United. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm, I, I support, I, I'm more interested because I support this. MK Dons, I think a lot of people would probably genuinely be Ashamed. embarrassed to yeah. support. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, say. they have... So I don't. I don't really uh, like football. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure they're. Uh, they're, they're quite there for my sins that level. It's quite controversial. Okay, let's look at this bottom ten then. Crystal Palace, Brighton, Forest Green, Leicester City, Spurs, Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea, and Manchester City. A, a real theme running through this, Charlie. Of just very, very successful team. Yeah. Well, I, I can. I see. I see the logic here because there's just not. You're not really being punished for any sins when you're cleaning up titles. However, if you're Man City. However, I think we're missing a trick here. Surely the real test of this is Adam or Charlie. Can you imagine any of those clubs that we've just said in the bottom 10 there being mentioned on Popmaster? Mm. You definitely can. No. Oh, 100%. Think? There would be someone I'll go, oh, I'm, I spot Manchester City for my sins, Ken. <laughs> Erroneously. <laughs> Leicester City would be... Leicester City have Popmaster written all over. It's still a humble club, Leicester. So I, and, and it's still a kind of Popmaster-y vibe to them. God knows what Forest Green are doing in 87th. Show you're working there. Is it because of the, the, the sort of whole e- eco vibe? <laughs> all right, yeah. yes. Of course. So there we are. The definitive piece of work ever done. On For My Sins. Do you think we ever have to talk about this ever again, Charlie? I think we'll find a way. Yeah, we still will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad that wraps up a very, very close season episode of Football Clichés. So many bases covered and none of them related to any football action whatsoever. Thanks to you, Dave Walker. Thank you. Thanks to you, Charlie Eccleshare. Thank you. Thanks for everyone for listening. We'll see you next time. Cheers. The Athletic. <laughs>